A reading from the book of Genesis. Israel loved Joseph best of all his sons, for he was the child of his old age, and he made him a long tunic. When his brothers saw that their father loved him best of all his sons, they hated him so much that they would not even greet him. One day, when his brothers had gone to pasture their father's flocks at Shechem, Israel said to Joseph, Your brothers, you know, are tending our flocks at Shechem. Get ready, I will send you to them. So Joseph went after his brothers and caught up with them in Dothan. They noticed him from a distance, and before he came up to them, they plotted to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes that master dreamer. Come on, let us kill him and throw him into one of the cisterns here. You could say that a wild beast devoured him. We shall then see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to save him from their hands, saying, We must not take his life. Instead of shedding blood, he continued, just throw him into that cistern there in the desert, but do not kill him outright. His purpose was to rescue him from their hands and return him to his father. So when Joseph came up to them, they stripped him of the long tunic he had on. Then they took him and threw him into the cistern, which was empty and dry. They then sat down to their meal. Looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead, their camels laden with gum, balm, and resin to be taken down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What is to be gained by killing our brother and concealing his blood? Rather, let us sell him to these Ishmaelites, instead of doing away with him ourselves. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh. His brothers agreed. They sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for twenty pieces of silver. The word of the Lord. Remember the marvels the Lord has done. When the Lord called down a famine on the land and ruined the crop that sustained them, he sent a man before them, Joseph, sold as a slave. They had weighed him down with fetters, and he was bound with chains, till his prediction came to pass and the word of the Lord proved him true. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the peoples set him free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions.
The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, o Lord. Jesus said to the chief priests and the elders of the people, Hear another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. Then he leased it to tenants and went on a journey. When vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to obtain his produce. But the tenants seized the servants, and one they beat Another they killed, and a third they stoned. Again he sent other servants, more numerous than the first ones, but they treated them in the same way. Finally he sent his son to them, thinking, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and acquire his inheritance. They seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. What will the owner of the vineyard do to those tenants when he comes? They answered him, He will put those wretched men to a wretched death and lease his vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the proper times. Jesus said to them, did you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? By the Lord has this been done, and it is wonderful in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that will produce its fruit. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they knew that he was speaking about them. And although they were attempting to arrest him, they feared the crowds, for they regarded him as a prophet. The Gospel of the Lord. The words of the We welcome this morning Deacon Charlie, who proclaimed the gospel. He's a deacon in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, and he's here uh, working on an initiative with EWTN. So welcome Deacon Charlie, and he's joined, of course, by our own uh, Deacon Chuck Kelly um, in our viewer services department. 
The church gives us today two readings which foretell the rejection and the sufferings that Christ would endure, as well as the salvation that would be accomplished through his suffering, through his death. In our reading from the book of Genesis, we see how God permitted Joseph to be mistreated by his brothers and to be sold into slavery. And yet God would powerfully use Joseph and guide him ultimately to save his people in a time of great need in their history. One thing we can get from this is knowing that despite our own free will, and some we can easily choose to despise God, to turn away from him, despite our free will, God's purpose and his plan cannot be defeated, no matter how malicious our one's intentions might be. God is God. We recall at the end of the book of Genesis, Joseph tells his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. So God can even use the sinfulness of others and bring good out of it. St. Gregory the Great commented on the experience of Joseph, saying that Joseph was sold by his brothers because they did not want to do him honor. But that is exactly what they do by the very fact of selling him. So too, when one wants to avoid the divine will, that is when it is fulfilled. God is all wise. He's all powerful. He can always bring good even out of our sinfulness and out of our mistakes. His providence guides all things. Another point to consider is that it was out of envy that Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. We hear in Genesis that Jacob loved Joseph best of all his sons, and this provoked envy among his brothers. This turned into resentment, into hatred, and even the desire to kill Joseph. This is similar to the experience of Cain and Abel, and shows that by allowing evil dispositions to grow in our hearts that can lead to hatred and even the desire to murder. Envy, as we know, is one of the seven deadly and capital sins. And envy is a sadness upon seeing the prosperity of another, seeing some good that God has given to another. It's also taken to be one's own loss. So I see the good in another, and that's some loss or deprivation toward me. And that's what can easily lead to resentment and hatred toward another. And even the desire that they be deprived of that good. And I will do whatever I can to make sure that they are deprived of that good. And it's important to note that envy is distinct from jealousy. Although these two are often used interchangeably, they are distinct. They are different. God is said to be jealous in sacred scripture. So jealousy can, be, can lead to good, to virtue, or to sin. Jealousy is seeing the good in another and wanting it for oneself. So God is said to be jealous in that he sees the good in us and he wants us for himself. Whereas envy is always wrong. Envy is always sinful. There is no good in it whatsoever. It's just a sadness at seeing the good in another. And it leads to misery and again can lead to further sins. But it becomes sinful again when we see some good in another and we want, it in our, we want it for ourselves in an unjust way. So that's how jealousy can lead to sin, right? It can lead to virtue or sin. Regarding envy, St. Augustine called it the diabolical sin. And he noted, and again, if we look at, when we refer to these seven capital or deadly sins as um, capital sins, they are the head or the source, they lead to many other sins. And St. Augustine noted that envy, from envy, are born hatred, detraction, calumny, 
joy caused by the misfortune of a neighbor, and displeasure caused by prosperity. So it can lead to all these other sins if we don't keep it in check, or if we don't renounce it, get rid of it, as soon as we become aware of that temptation. Further, the Book of Wisdom reminds us that it was through the devil's envy that death entered the world. And as St. Matthew would describe in his gospel, it was out of envy that our Lord himself was delivered over to Pilate to, be, to undergo his passion and death. So how do we overcome the temptation to envy? One way is to cultivate the virtue of gratitude, to thank God for the gifts, the graces he's given us, and to thank God for the graces he's given to others, especially to be aware of the graces he's given to others. We can also be strengthened against this temptation of envy, envy by striving to put into practice St. Paul's words when he said, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. And St. John of the Cross would offer this advice. He said, Always be more disposed toward giving to others than to giving to yourself. And thus you will not be envious nor selfish toward your neighbor to always look for the good of the other. Now Joseph, whom we read about and heard about in our first reading today, he has been seen as a type of Christ who prefigures our Lord, whom we hear several times in the gospel that our Lord is described as the beloved son, right? Our heavenly father's beloved son in whom he is well pleased. And that's what we heard about in the account of Joseph in Genesis, that he is the beloved son of his father, Jacob. And we know that both of them who were beloved sons were also rejected by others and were sold for pieces of silver. And here are three other parallels that have been pointed out by scholars. In fact, John Bergsma and Brant Petrie in their book on an introduction to the Old Testament, they list seven parallels between Joseph and Christ, and I'll give you just three of them. One is that they both were surrounded with two other condemned men. If we think of Joseph when he was in prison, remember he was with the Pharaoh's uh, baker and in his, his chief steward, his butler. And out of those two other condemned men, one was spared, one was forgiven and his life was spared. Our Lord on Calvary on the cross was surrounded by two other condemned men. One was forgiven and his life, his eternal life was spared. So our Lord promised him eternal life in heaven. Another parallel is that after their suffering, both were exalted, right? That in God's providence, Joseph was exalted to the right hand of Pharaoh, and he was put in charge to rule over the kingdom of Egypt. He was second only to Pharaoh and the authority he was given. Our Lord himself, after his passion, death, and resurrection, was exalted to the right hand of the heavenly Father, and he rules over the kingdom of heaven. And a third parallel is that both Joseph and our Lord saved their people, and they both fed their people with life-saving wheat or bread. Remember, Joseph was particularly put there to save his people with wheat. During a time of great famine, the people were starving. Our Lord saved his people by his passion, death, and resurrection, and he also gives us life-giving bread under the appearance of bread, his body and blood. So going back briefly to our, our parable today, our Lord makes reference to this prefigurement, especially when the tenants in the parable see that the son that the owner had sent. And the exact same words that we heard in our reading today, referring to Joseph's brothers when they saw Joseph, they're used in our Lord's parable today. And those are the words, come, let us kill him. 
when they see the beloved son coming. The tenants in the parable had already beaten and killed some of the other servants that went out to get fruit from the vineyard, and those servants signify the prophets. Our Lord in the parable said, one they beat, another they killed, and a third they stoned. And we can see this particularly applied to the prophets. Jeremiah was beaten or scourged, Isaiah was killed, and Zechariah was stoned in the temple courts. And these prophets and servants of the Lord, we know, were sent ultimately for the good of the people, to draw them back to the Lord, to lead them to conversion. And we see how God, who is portrayed as the owner of the vineyard, now sends his own son into this very dangerous situation. God sent his son knowing that he would be treated worse than the prophets. And yet again, similar to the case of Joseph from the Old Testament, God's providence is at work. And that our redemption was accomplished by Christ's sacrificial death on Calvary, which even to this day in God's providential, in God's providential manner is made present on the altar at every Mass, that sacrifice of Calvary. And we see that because of the hardness of the hearts of those tenants in the parable, and their failure to acknowledge their sin and to repent, turning back to God, that new managers would be put in their place and would be given authority to care for and govern the new vineyard, which is the church. And they would be the apostles and their successors. And this parable also reminds us of a few things regarding God's work in our own spiritual lives. So as the landowner leased the vineyard to the tenants and then went on a journey, God Likewise, entrust each of, us, each of us with a very specific mission, a very specific task to accomplish. And he gives us the graces that we need to carry them out. We also see God's patience toward us. In the parable, God sent servant after servant after servant to draw the people back to God. If we think back in our own lives, God has been very merciful and very patient with each of us. And he's given us many opportunities to turn back to him and to respond to his grace, and he continues to do so. And in addition, we can be reminded by this parable that we will be held accountable to God for our actions. God desires that we bear fruit in our lives. And the wicked tenants were held accountable for what they had done, and as a result, the vineyard was taken away. This is a reminder that each of us will be come before the Lord after our death, and we will be held accountable for how we've lived and what we've done in life. So in light of our readings today, we thank God for the gift of his abundant patience and mercy toward each of us and that he continues to give us, especially through the sacrament of confession and the grace he gives us in the sacraments. And we pray for the grace to grow in the virtue of gratitude for the many graces that we've received from him and that we might respond more generously in carrying out God's will and in bearing good fruit in our lives.